it again, and I'll probably say it again, but one of the reasons why I walk through particular books of the Bible in sequential order is because there, if I didn't do that, I would be tempted to ignore certain parts of Scripture. This is one of them. So it keeps me honest, at least somewhat. Now, the reality is, the reality is you, the listeners, are, are called to actually listen and, and wrestle with what the text is saying, and, and if I'm not coming clean with the text, you have every right to have that conversation with me. Does that make sense? This particular passage is, is not very popular in the context of our culture, nor in the context of the church. But it's in the book. And it mustn't be ignored. I've simply titled this message, Walk. And, and, and the reason why is because the Apostle Paul has already used that language in chapter 4, verse 1, where he says, walk in a manner worthy of the calling. And then in chapter 4, verse 17, he says, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles. And now in these 21 verses, he uses this language three times. All of them are commands. He has moved away from making statements, and now he has moved in the direction of, here's how we should live. Here's the ought to's. First walk is found in verse two. We're to walk in love. The second walk is found in in uh, verse eight. We're to walk as children of light. And the final walk is found in in verse, I believe it's fifteen. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise. We're to walk. Now, as we unpack this, let's make just a couple of observations before we start diving into it. But as we unpack this, I've already noted they're imperatives. These are commands. Uh, but they flow out of chapter 4. He's continuing the theme and the thought of cultivating holiness. And so that conversation is continuing. In fact, some people think verses 1 and 2 should be part of chapter 4. Others think verses 1 through 4 should be part of chapter 4. It's hard to know where Paul would actually break it off if he was preaching the text. It, it, he's also speaking about walking as not simply what we do. It is what we do, but he's, it's, it's what we say. You probably noticed that as we read. But it's not only what we do and what we say, it's it's also our desires and our thoughts is all encompassed in this, 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 this command to walk. And what I want you to notice is in this command to walk, it, in each of these commands, it's coupled with the language of, of considering or thinking about or, or, or um, looking carefully at Notice in, in verse 1, therefore be imitators of God. To be an imitator of God means I need to look at him, I need to follow him, I need to observe him closely. And so my walking in love is connected to my 
imitating or my following him. It's a little bit clearer in verse 15 where he says, look carefully then how you ought to walk. We're, we're to examine the way we live our life. We're to examine what we think about. We're to examine what we desire. We're to examine our speech. But he does the same thing in verse 7 or 8 when he talks about walk as children of light. That's followed up in verse 10 and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Literally test or approve or, or consider or think about what pleases God. Walk. Walk in love, verses 1 through 6. Walk as children of life, verses 7 through 14. And look carefully how you walk, in verses 15 to 21. Let's begin with walk in love, verses 1 through 6. Can I put a disclaimer on the front end of this? When, when, when we deal with some of these sins that are, are, are found in Scripture, I'm the messenger. I didn't write it. But even beyond that, I come to you as a messenger that is broken. I think if we're all honest, every male and female is broken sexually. Now, I understand there's varying degrees of that brokenness, but I have to come and I have to approach this text as, as it, I'm under it as well. And when he's calling me, calling us to look carefully then how we walk, he's talking to me just as much as he's talking to anyone else. And when I stand here to speak, it's not me speaking as if I've got it figured out and I'm better than. I better approach this text incredibly humbly. So please, please hear it in that vein. I am a broken man that God has graciously graciously done a work in my life, but I'm a broken man that is no better than anyone else in this room or anyone on this planet. Walk in love. How? Because Christ loved us. He gave himself up for us. Now we can, we can read that. We can just been in the church, we've, we've grown up with that language, we've sung songs about the love of God, the love of Christ, and, and it just kind of gets old dues. But he's going to bring this up again in, in chapter 5 when he's talking about how husbands ought to love their wives as Christ loved the church. We're going to talk about that next week, the good Lord willing. But that theme or that language or that idea of marriage is found, it's, it's, it's a thread that runs throughout all of Scripture. And, and, and marriage ultimately points to the ultimate marriage between God and his people. The language is incredibly strong in Hosea. Remember Hosea? What did God command him to do? Marry a prostitute. 
Now, I'm not going to stand here and try to explain to you why or how that works or whatever, but he was told that's what he was told to do. Ezekiel, chapter 16. Vivid, graphic description of the love of God for his people. Of course, the people of Israel in the Old Testament. But listen to this language, Ezekiel 16. Again, the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, make known to Jerusalem her abominations. And say, thus says the Lord God to Jerusalem, your origin and your birth are of the land of the Canaanites. Your father was an Amorite and your mother a Hittite. And as for your birth on that day when you were born, your cord was not cut, nor were you washed with water to cleanse you, nor rubbed with salt, nor wrapped in swaddling clothes. No, I pitied you to do any of these things to you out of compassion for you, but you were cast out on the open field, for you were abhorred on the day that you were born. That's graphic, strong language that Ezekiel speaks of the people of Israel. In other words, what Ezekiel is saying, what God is saying, that God didn't love or choose or, or, or marry the people of God because they were the prettiest girl to dance. He showed love and compassion for very broken Now, if you continue to read Ezekiel 16, it's, it's, it's beautiful and yet graphic language of the way that God loves his people. But is it any different in the, in the New Testament? What did God say in Ephesians chapter 2 about the Ephesians, or I could say about us? That you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. dead. What were they doing following the course of the world? They were following the prince of the power of the air. Chapter 3, verse 3, I mean, they were, they were living in the passions of their flesh. And Paul includes himself in that language. But God, verse 4, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive. Apostle Paul, as he's speaking to the Ephesians, and he says, therefore be imitators of God, his beloved children. He says, you guys, you are his children. You, are, you belong to him. He chose you before you did anything good or bad. He chose you not because you did good things, not because of your works. He loved you. He gave himself up for you when you weren't so good. And as Christ has loved us, how are we to live? How are we to walk? We are to walk in love as Christ loved us. That's why I love the picture of adoption. I think adoption is just this beautiful picture of of, of of loving those less fortunate and we're loving someone not because they can give something back but because just because to walk
walk in love as Christ loved us. And, and, and such, a, such a love, verse 2, is, is a fragrant offering. It's, it's, it's pleasing to the Lord. Then verse 3. You see, I'm delaying it. I don't want to go there, but we have to. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you. But he's talking to the church, okay? Paul's not talking to those guys out there. He's talking to the people of God. The language here, sexual immorality, the Greek word there is pornea, which is the word we get for pornography. It speaks to all sexual activity outside of the context between a, between a covenant relationship between a man and a woman. That's how that word was used in the first, in the first century. This would have been hard for the people of Ephesians to hear in a, in a city that worshipped the goddess of Arti Artemis, which was a fertility god. Sexual orgies were part of the culture, and they had become part of the church. And all impurity, the word impurity there means anything outside the, anything that is outside of God's law or God's purposes. Such things should not even be mentioned among us. I've pastored long enough to know that in our Canadian church that sexual immorality is a problem. Impurity is a problem. Because such activity is not is not love. It's it's the opposite. It's 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 using others to get what you want. I mean, pornography. What what's that all about? It's it's it's, it's about satisfying your own desires. The Apostle Paul, though, really I think hits home, and and, and we mustn't. Uh, not, we need to see this, in other words. He moves from the, act, the, act, the action to the desire. Where he says, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you. Covetousness is, is, is wanting something. The 10th commandment, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house, thy neighbor's wife. And then he, a, a long list. You might have a nicer house than me. I, I'm not to go, oh, I want that. We're to do that with all things. If, it, if, if, if the Lord hasn't blessed me with this, I, I'm not to look, and I wish I had that. You know, you've got a steak, and I've got a burger. I, I want your steak. Of course, you're looking at the guy with the lobster. I know that's how it works. Sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness. Isn't this what Jesus said? That if we lust after a woman in our heart, we've already committed adultery? That's strong language. 
must, must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. What is a saint? A saint is a holy one, not because of anything we've done, but because of what Christ has done. But a saint is one who's been set apart for the things of God. Anything that's been set apart. In, in the temple, there were things that were set apart. Utensils that were used, only used for the sacred things. We are the people of God. We are to be used for the purposes of God. Apostle Paul goes on in verse 4, Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. And this is an extension of what he said last week. When he's talking about our speech, no corrupting talk coming out of our mouths, but only such as is good for building up. How, do we examine our speech and do we actually go, what we say, is it actually building the other person up or is it tearing them down? This does not mean we don't say hard things. Sometimes we need to say hard things to build the other person up. Why do we say it? What do we say? Verse 4, it's the context there is, again, how do we speak of others? It was many years ago, I, I was working a sales job, and I had the opportunity to go for some training. And so a number of us traveled, and, and at this particular one, it was just a group of men was at, at the training around the table. And I've worked on construction sites. I've been on sports teams. I, I understand how men can be. But I was appalled at the way the men talked about the females in the office. Appalled. To, to the point where this wasn't a religious event. This was a sales job. This was a company down in the States. I had to say something. But in the context of church, there should be no filthiness, no foolish talk, no crude joking. That, that shouldn't even come off the tips of our tongue. You see Apostle Paul talking. This is the Spirit of God that moved Paul and I'm not accusing us of doing that. I'm just saying, I'm, I'm again, this is the mouthpiece, but we are to examine. Do we walk in love? These are out of place. Now what fascinates me is what Paul says should come out of our mouth. And it seems like this is so out of place. Like he's been talking about sexual activity. Now I think he talks about more. Foolish talk goes beyond speaking about sexual, inappropriate ways. But, but he goes beyond that. He, he's, but look at, look at the answer. But let there be, you see it? Thanksgiving. If I'm looking at my plate and saying, Lord, thank you for this burger. You are so good to me. I don't deserve this. There are others who are far less fortunate. I don't have time to look at your steak. I don't have time to be covetousness because, because I'm beginning to realize that what I have been blessed with is a gift. Now the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 that even singleness is a gift. And he's not talking about a, 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 a magical gift that God gives, but the reality is if we're single, that is, we have been gifted. 
The whole idea is we have more time for the kingdom of God in that context. So single people, this is this he's speaking to you as well. Thanksgiving. That should be flowing off. Lord, we don't deserve anything, and you've graciously given. In the context of marriage, I, I, I ought to be thankful to my wife. Not treating her as some someone that is just there for my personal satisfaction. This is you hear the language here? The Apostle Paul is saying we're supposed to be different as the people of God. Now in verse 5, he says, For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or, or impure, or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. That's strong language. Because remember how I started? I said we are all broken. I believe that. So what is Paul saying here? Apostle Paul, I believe here, in keeping with what he has been doing, he's telling the people to take off the old clothes and put on the new clothes, to take off the old self and put on the new self, and there's a continuing action going on. And as we come to grips with who, who we should be and how we ought to live, are we doing that? Are we saying, Lord, this is in my life, forgive me, would you... This bothers me. Are we willing to take it off and, and put on the new, the new clothes? Somebody comes to me and they're struggling with a porn, porn addiction. And they're repentant and they, they want to change and they're struggling with this and, and, and they're battling it. Verse 5 is not for them they need to hear is what Christ has done for them. They need to understand who they are in Christ. They need to understand the forgiveness of Christ. Is there someone who says, you know what, I'm just going to continue to do what I want, no matter what anybody else says, no matter what God says, unrepentant, unashamed, then verse 5 is for them. Strong language. If we're not motivated by, motivated by the fact that Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, then Paul says, okay, well, then maybe this will motivate you. You'll have no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Now, what's a kingdom? A kingdom has a king, and the king is Jesus. And if we refuse to listen to the king and have no desire to listen to the king, why would we want to be part of that kingdom? That's what the apostle Paul is saying. Verse 6, let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. You see, Paul, like Jesus, like the Old Testament, believed that there would be a judgment that would come and will come. I find it amazing that in, whenever anyone begins to dabble in the text and go, God really doesn't mean that we can't do this. God doesn't mean we can't do that. Uh, not, that. That goes, their sexual ethic changes, but what's fascinating, so does their end time theology. A couple years ago, that in the presence of a pastor, as he was, as he was unpacking his 
his right to pursue a gay identity that he proceeded to tell me, and I, and I, I, was, I was like, what's going on here? And I, and I pointed out the scriptures to him, and then I pointed out the fact that there's a judgment coming, and, and he goes, well, I don't believe in the judgment. There wasn't much I could say. But the scriptures are very clear. Now, yes, the scriptures might be painting a picture, it's a metaphor, or something horrible, but still it's a judgment. The language of Paul is pretty strong. Walk in love. Christ loved us. Be imitators of God. I, I, I need to look at God and, and I need to examine who He is, examine what He has done, examine how He treats others, how He's treated me. And I need to walk in that way. Now, Paul doesn't stop there. In verse 7, He, he tells us to walk in light. Walk as children of light, verse 8. We won't spend as much time here, but, but the idea is light exposes the darkness. Light exposes. What, when, do we, when do we like to do things? Or if we do something wrong, we don't want anyone else to know, right? Kind of hide it. We're children. Remember, we were beloved children. We're children of light. We no longer should partake with the sons of disobedience. That was our old life. Walk as children of light. And, we're, and, and light bears fruit. He talks about good and right and true. And we're to try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. That, that, that means we're, we're examining the text and saying, Lord, what, what would please you? What would bring honor to you? What would you have me do in this situation? Show me, Lord. Help me to live in that way. There's this, there's this movement towards light. And when we live that way, it does shine the darkness, the, the light on the darkness, doesn't it? It, 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 it fascinates me that I've got a number of siblings that when any of us ever wanted to do what was wrong, we hated the one that was doing what was right. Because their righteousness just exposed us. They, they weren't telling us how to live. They just... But look at what Paul does in verse 14. For anything that becomes visible is light. There's some debate on what he actually say in there, but uh, many believe that what he's trying to tell us is that light not only exposes, but light actually transforms. Isn't it amazing when, when the church is the church, when we are a holy people, that it has an impact on the people we work with, our neighbors, our city, our nation. And when the church stops being the church, That impact, that light, that salt, stops being its work. The Apostle Paul 
then concludes, therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Uh, again, most people don't understand exactly what Paul is saying here, but they, 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 there's, a, there's a thinking that this is probably some expression, some hymn that was sung in a baptism, pulling from the Old Testament, saying, remember, this is who you once were. Arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. We're to walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us. We're to walk as children of light, trying to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. And finally, look carefully then how you walk. Look at verse 15. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the best use of the time because the days are evil. I have to look carefully and go, okay, how am I spending my time? What am I spending it with? Um, who am I spending it with? What am I spending it for? Is it for the sake of the kingdom or is it for me? Therefore, not, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. I'm going to examine what, what, what God has said very clearly is how I ought to live, how I ought to speak, what I desire, what I want. Verse 18, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. That is, in other words, that's an excess, it's recklessness, it's senseless. But be filled with the Spirit. And then he goes, and it seems to me, in verse 19, he says, life should be a musical. Not quite. I don't know about you, but Josh and I, we have a problem when the girls want to sit down and watch a musical. <laughs> like it's just not it's just not, not, not normal I don't go to the coffee shop and have a cup of coffee and take a sip of my coffee and then stand on the table and begin to sing of how great that coffee is that's just, that's just not life and so it just bothers me when I watch musicals so is that what Paul is saying that we are to address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs Singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, are we supposed to sing to each other? I think what Paul is saying is, if you have a good voice. <laughs> so that, that, just, that means I don't have to do this. I think Paul is trying to tell us, wine, likes, wine makes us sing, doesn't it? Not always, no, but... A steak meal, a steak dinner makes me sing. We got some dear friends that she says, I love feeding you, all right, because you hum when you when I feed you, you hum. The things we desire, when we get them, we we hum, we sing. We've all seen the commercial. What is it? Viagra or Cialis or something like that and the guy is walking and he's singing everywhere he goes because this drug has changed his, his life. Christ should make us sing. He should make us hum. What Christ has done for us when we were dead in our trespasses and sin. 
should make us sick. Isn't that what Paul does in this book? In prison? In prison? He has no comforts around him. He doesn't have the steak dinner. He doesn't have the wine. The text is not saying wine is bad. To be controlled by it is. What are we to be controlled by? Spirit of God, but what Christ has done for us. Apostle Paul begins this letter, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly place. He, he just begins to praise God and he's in prison. We see him in the book of Acts when he's thrown into prison in, in, in Philippi. What's he doing? He is singing, rejoicing. One of the things this book, this letter has done to me this summer has, has, has caused me to look at the things I desire and go, do I love you as much as I love the things that I want? Lord, would you change me? Lord, would, 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 would the fact of what you have done for me before the foundation of the world set my heart so ablaze that no matter what happens, no matter what my circumstances are, I can't but help but rejoice and sing. And we're to do that. Not just on Sunday mornings. Giving thanks, verse 20, always. And for everything. God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see the difference? Our, we, we live as, as, as followers of Christ. We live a life of gratitude and thankfulness. Contentment. Praising God for what He has done. Our minds are focused on Him. Discerning what His will is. Carefully looking how we walk, how we think, how we talk, how we live, what we desire. Finally, verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, and I think he's setting up the stage for the next several verses, but literally submitting to one another out of a awe for Christ, the Greek word there is phobos, out of a fear for Christ. I think there's two pictures there. There's a sense where we're just in awe of the Lord and so we want to do what's right and there's a sense when we we fear that this Lord can punish us as well. And so we want to do what's right. Both are true. How do I wrap this all up? I don't know. Walk in love. Examine your life. I mean, look at Jesus. Walk as children of the light. Discern what is pleasing to the Lord. If there's areas in your life that you need to take this, this, this clothes off, and I, and I don't think we ever come to the end of that until the day we're with Jesus. And finally, look carefully how you ought to walk. Seriously consider the work, how we ought to live.
Father, these uh, words, uh, you've, you've recorded them. Thank you. And Lord, it's easy for me to look over the fence or across the street and go, man, I'm better than that person. The text makes it very clear that this is, he's, you're, you're speaking to us as a church. Father, I pray that you'd help us to examine our life, examine our speech, examine the things we desire. And are they pleasing to you? Lord, I pray that you'd help us to, to live a life of gratitude and thankfulness and understanding that you have given us all that we need, that we can be content. Father, I pray that uh, you would transform us and change us. That when the world looks at us, even when we look at one another, that we, we see a people that is like light. We see a people that walk in love. We see a people who are careful and grateful. And that we're different. Not because we're better done for us. And Father, I pray that we'd be a people so content and so in love with you that we would constantly be singing our songs, praising you, regardless of what's going on in our life. Lord, would you do that work in me? Or would you do that work in us? not for our sake so much, but Lord, for your glory and for the furtherance of your kingdom.